Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, produced by the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich. This podcast celebrates the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. Today we're talking with Jeff Tackett from Southern California. He's a dyslexic dad with a daughter who also has dyslexia. Jeff, along with his wife, has been an advocate in California for those with dyslexia. He's a soccer coach working with high school, college, and pro athletes, and he's helped players and their parents negotiate the challenges of learning differences. Along with being a teacher, Jeff also provides counseling for the Department of Corrections and Rehab and, when possible, speaks out on behalf of people with dyslexia. Jeff is not unique. Like many, he found out about dyslexia later on in life. Uh, well, I didn't find out until actually my daughter. So I did. I went through the my whole life until she was, I think, around probably six or seven is when we started seeing that she was having struggles in, in school where I was working. I, you know, I was I had a, a bunch of the psychologists and I asked them questions. And so I was able to get a neuropsychologist to test her and just get see maybe what's going on. And and then through my wife was doing a lot of research and we found out that she was possibly dyslexic and his number one question was, well, is somebody in your family dyslexic because it's genetic? And we both said, no, not that we knew of. And I didn't think I was, and I didn't think she didn't think she, she was or anybody in our family. And I went to Susan Barton. She has a, a teaching Barton system. Okay. She had like a, a talk and my wife couldn't go to it. So I went to it. And so as she was speaking, about, you know, just kind of all the, the signs and all the parents were talking. And I was like, oh, wow, like everything that she's saying, that was me in school. Like, Can you remember what some of the things were that struck you so dramatically? What were they? She would start talking on just the penmanship. And a lot of times you'll see like dyslexic kids will turn their paper totally sideways and lay mm-hmm. their head almost on the desk so that mm-hmm. they can kind of see the board and see their paper. And I was like, oh, wow, I used to do that all the time. And then <laughs> And then when she started explaining why, because, you know, you'd, you'd have to see the dictation on the on the chalkboard and then you'd have to put it to paper. And then a lot of times kids don't know it, but they they lose. They can't spell it. So they're constantly looking up at the board and then they lose their place on their line of where to write it. And so it got to the point where you're, you're going back and forth. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's that's exactly what I was doing. What about your, your reading skills when you were younger? Did you have issues with reading all through school? I kind of, I struggled, but I, I love to learn, I think at a young age and I did find out later. So my, my dad would tell me that a lot of the books that or anything that they would get me to read because they knew that there was issue with me reading, but there was nothing knowledgeable about dyslexia that I would, I love sports so much that they would give me the sports paper and I would always want to read something about sports or if it was a book, it was like Pele or Babe Ruth or Roberto Clemente. There was like always a sports figure that I would read, so at least I would at least be able to comprehend what was going on, because I think that was usually, when I look at it now, I think that's why I struggle so much with reading certain things. You're a relatively young man, and it hasn't been too many years, I'm sure, since you got out of school and upper levels of school and all that. No one took you aside in, in the school system and had you examined for any issues, or are you the kind of guy who just sailed through and didn't cause anybody any concern? I, I don't quite get that. You? Yeah, I was, I mean, I was the quiet good kid. So obviously nobody <laughs> didn't strike a, a nerve in anybody. And then I had a lot of friends. And so I was able early on networked to be able to figure out how I could use them to help me do the homework, get uh, copy stuff down. I know the, the only time I really had help in school was because my penmanship was so bad. 
I, I think they, I probably do have dysgraphia, but they made me mm-hmm. redo my hold of my pen, pencil. They got me a special pencil device to hold it correctly. And they put some type of adaptation on a pencil, a mechanical pencil. So I would have mm-hmm. to, and an actual, I don't think, obviously, like I said, when I was listening to that, the talk with Susan Barton, it wasn't really so much the penmanship. I think it was more of constantly having to look up and look down and not be able to keep on the same. I'd have to right. lift my pencil up every time. <laughs> you did say something a moment ago that's so important to me, and that is you were clever enough to figure out workarounds. And the, the basic premise of what we do here is to point out that dyslexia is what it is, but it is not necessarily, it doesn't determine intelligence by any stretch. In fact, people are tending to be more creative. We'll talk about your daughter in a sec, more creative with it. Do you feel that was the case that you, you were able to work around it and uh, succeed? For the most part, I know I sat down, I think a couple of years ago and I actually wrote once I started seeing all this stuff and I would just start trying to write a story basically in a, brought up a lot of memories and just knowing that I was able to throughout elementary school, obviously a lot easier because it was spread out where I could network. And then as it got to be junior high and high school, where it was you know, period after period, six different classes, I wasn't able to hide it and when I would start falling behind and the, the, the workload became such so extreme or the reading was, you know, 20, 30 pages at a night instead of, the little work dittos that you do in, in grade school, then it was, it became very hard. And it was right. Uh, at that point in time, I definitely struggled through high school trying to get ahead. And I had a lot of troubles during high school for that. We often bring up the fact that there's an emotional component, the sense of being abused by other kids or being taunted or the, the, the self-esteem question, which always comes up. Was that a, a growing issue as you went through school, as you got into the older grades? Once I got into high school, it was because a lot, I think I never understood why my friends were all in the Andre classes or the mm-hmm. AP classes. And I was, you know, if I was in college prep, I was struggling just on certain things. And I knew that I knew things, but it would just seem like I couldn't retain on tests or I wasn't able to, especially math. I was never able to retain anything that was new information History was hard, obviously, to remember. And then learning how to write a paper in English was, I'd always get great content, but horrible grammar. Or, you know, I get an mm-hmm. A for content, a D for grammar. So it was mm-hmm. like, so they, it was hard that, you know, my friends were all in the upper classes and I was not, and they would obviously make fun. Jeff, how did what was going on with you in school and these obvious issues you were having with, with learning just day to day, how did that impact your choice to do what you do in life? Because you've done some remarkably impressive things in my book, helping people with developmental disabilities as a teacher, you work in the prison system, you do a lot for other people. Did, was, was doing what you do now, was that forged by what you were going through in school? I mean, did you shy away from certain sciences or certain other areas, certain artistic or literature or English and head to this because of that or what? During school, I mean, my first thought, I really wanted to be a doctor, like an orthopedic. That was my kind of, I liked the, the sports, obviously medicine. That was Makes kind sense. of yeah. a cool thing for me to do. But 
as I was getting older, I would just, I was like, I can't even remember all this stuff. There's no way I could ever be a doctor. And I remember taking a class for psychology in I think my sophomore year in high school. And I loved it. It was, that was something that was like, Oh, this is, this is cool. There's no math involved. It's just mm. being able to understand people's behaviors. And I was a good, able to assess others very well and just kind of sit back because I didn't like to talk too much because I didn't want anybody to find out that maybe I was not as smart as them. So I would just listen. And that was what psychologists do. They listen. So I was like, Oh, this is perfect. That's, That's kind of the story. watchword of, of many dyslexics. Certainly the ones we featured on this podcast, uh, Jeff, that is you, you gravitate to what skill sets really you feel you can master and you master them. And that's, that's the beauty of this, the flip side, the good side of this. Now I want to talk about your daughter because as you say, she was in her early grades, I guess, before she was diagnosed. And why were you so surprised? Tell me what your, your reactions you and your wife had when you found out what she had. I mean, it was actually, and it was even harder because so my, my wife, my wife's Spanish. And so our kids are mixed into the point where, there, there was an option for us to put them in a dual immersion school next to us. So they were learning Spanish and English right away. And at this school, this particular school, the way they did it was from kindergarten, it was 80% Spanish, 20% English. And then as you got up each grade, you would take a percentage off and it would start going 7 to 30, 70, 30, 60, 40 as you got older. Well, she was just, my daughter by age seven was just not getting it. And so we, I guess to the point, kind of pushed it off. Well, maybe it's just hard for her to learn the Spanish because we're not really speaking in home. You know, we're not, her grandmother speaks it, but we don't see her that much or she's just constantly using it. Maybe that was just the point. You know, a lot of the, the kids that were there were Latin and they spoke it a lot more in school. So they were able to catch on to it. So it was kind of pushed off that, okay, she's not getting it. But then you would start seeing the things when my, like she couldn't, say certain words and you know you always think oh it's cute that she can't say spaghetti correctly or she can't mm. say these words and it got to the point where well you know she's not able to retain these certain things and then when we noticed that she could draw she's an amazing drawer ever since she was probably four years old she could draw a circle better than i can right now and was able to always gravitate towards that and then anytime that we bring up learning she would shut down anything we she had to learn how to Lead. So there were there were signs. You knew it wasn't a big shock when you found out that there was There's some kind of learning. On, but we right kept up. pushing it off to maybe because she's learning Spanish and English right. at the same time. Maybe that's right. just that's just what happens. We didn't know. Maybe that was just the mm. developmental part of it. So we kind of pushed it off to that. And then luckily, yeah, my wife just kept digging and thought, you know, what if she has this? And like I said, because of getting the the people from my my work, the psychologists, and asking about it. I made her dig deeper and mm. found out that, yep, she can't rhyme. She couldn't had trouble to tie her shoes right away. She wasn't able to do all the things that you start to see that list just kept getting bigger and bigger. Right. Right. But she's, as you described her, a very artistic little girl. She has a flair for art, at least drawing at least at this point. Right. She's a very athletic and very artistic. Mm. Yes. That's great. What, what is her first name? Cambria. Cambria. Oh, what a beautiful name. So what was the, uh, the process? Was it the school she attended that aided with the testing or what? The process in? In terms of discovering her, her condition, her, her diagnosis oh. of dyslexia. Uh, well, they wouldn't 
they kept pushing off. So we went through the, by her, by the time she was in second grade, we were trying to get, we had the IEP, had to write the letters to try to get them to accommodate certain things. And they kept pushing off to, mm. she actually only had auditory processing disorders, what they said she had. We would say, well, no, she doesn't, but that was the only way that they would give her any type of service. So it was kind of that label because there was no dyslexic service. At the end, that point, they won't say dyslexia in California. So, oh, that's the policy in the educational system, I guess. Is right. what you're saying. So, what r- advice do you have for other parents in the similar situation in any parts of the country? Just hang in there and keep fighting. Oh, well, I mean, that's a hard one. Yeah, because I mean, you, <laughs> you have to keep fighting, but it's it's a fight almost that it's so demanding that it's it's a whole nother job in itself right. and it's so many barriers and so many roadblocks that happen between all that where right when you think it's going to happen there's somebody above them that says nope we can't do it hmm. you know there's always another person that says well we don't have the budget for that or well we can't really do it this way because we don't have the resources for that right jeff how long ago was this when your daughter was diagnosed finally how long oh, ago? she's 16 now so right so i'd like to just very quickly get a sense of how she progressed once she knew and you knew it was dyslexia. Did she get the kind of help that had that then propelled her to do much better in school and develop skill no. sets? No, she, we tried to get, you know, the, the combinations trying to get longer for tests or making less work for like the homework, maybe less word problems or cause we definitely knew that word problems was a, a big struggle for her reading was still a struggle, but the math because of all the word problems and just being able to comprehend everything was, was hard. So it was at that point seeing, can they accommodate that maybe only do like five or six problems instead of 20 Mm -hmm. and not reading in front of everybody and made sure that only if she raised her hand, then they would call on her. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. just popcorn, what they call it, popcorn reading because that would hand her anxiety kicked in. So she became a lot more she having anxiety signs. So even that became an issue. How her. is she doing now? I mean, 16, by the way, my <laughs> congratulations, dad, got some gray hairs because of that. Cause yeah. you got a 16 year old daughter, but how is she doing overall in school? Uh, she's, she still struggles, but she's, yep. she's getting, it's hard. It's kind of a, uh, interesting because I think the way the system feels like it works is they are at the point, especially in high school where it's just, as long as we let her pass, we're not going to really teach her. We're just going to let her pass. So it's, it's interesting that like this year, she got a B in math, but if we go over anything with her in math, that's in the algebraic comprehension, she can't do it. Mm. So it's baffling to think that she's able to. You're in California and most of us have this pre-existing assumption that California schools are quite progressive. Let's put, put it that way, that things are really, you know, moving in the right direction for people with learning disabilities, but it sounds as though it's a struggle. Right. Especially, well, dyslexia. I mean, they have dyslexia. The special education is such a broad spectrum of what the money goes to for California, but it's not always, it's definitely not for learning differently. It's more of anything that has of the physical disabilities more. Yes. Yes. The, invisible disabilities. Let me, let me switch gears before, because we don't want to tie you up too long, but let me ask you to comment on the work you do at the state California prison system, the department of corrections and rehabilitation, because you were telling me prior to us starting that you uh, assist in, in terms of mental health 
services and so forth. Um, one of the questions that comes up is treatment of people behind bars who have learning disabilities, particularly dyslexia. First of all, the intense pressure on them as individuals growing up with this, crime becomes part of their life and they wind up in jail. But then what happens to them in jail? Are they getting any kind of services? Do you have any sense? I mean, you work with mentally challenged people, but do you have any sense that there's any attention paid to dyslexia as a problem? Yeah, no, I've looked into it because, I mean, obviously that was my first interest. So there was, right. once I was able to learn how a lot of a lot of them are tested and they have a table, a tab, they call it, where they feel their grade level should be. And many of them are below that 12th grade level. And if they are, then they're kind of deemed at either some type of like learning disorders, what they'll, they'll put it into. But there's never, as far as I've researched and looked, it's not like they've truly tested for dyslexia or... Mm-hmm. They just, whatever that test is, it just shows that, okay, they definitely have a learning disorder because they're at a four instead of 12 or above. And so when you, you see that there's the education there where they could go back and get their GE, but it's, it's no different than just giving them a booklet and saying, okay. Right. And Jeff, I can ask you this because you're a professional in the field, the impact on one's mental state, mental health not being able to read, being frustrated, uh, being behind the, the curve. For ordinary people who aren't behind bars is tough enough, but I can imagine that the pressure on people who get to prison who have not done that is immense, and that has to affect their, their mental health. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's a huge thing. I think I really believe that, you know, they, I know there's this, the stats out there that 40% of all prisoners actually have some type of learning disorder disorder at least California stats. I'm not sure about the, how that looks everywhere else, but if 40% of those guys or girls were taught differently or found out early on in, in school, would they have been able to go a different path? Like you were saying, you know, mm-hmm. once you continue to get these red marks on your paper and you feel like you're dumb and everyone thinks you are and you're getting the Fs and everybody else is getting that and you feel like they call you lazy, they call you just unmotivated, then do you start hanging out out of the classroom because it doesn't feel safe to you anymore? You know, do you feel out wherever everybody else is that's making you feel safe? And if you're ditching now on the streets and hanging out with your friends there, then obviously possibly get in trouble because you're on the street when you're supposed to be in school and it just becomes this snowball effect. Vicious circle. Yeah. You mentioned sports and of course you're very involved in sports as a coach, director of Southern California School of Goalkeeping. I didn't know there was an actual school particularly. It's my own academy. Oh, it is. uh, Terrific. But so good for you and good for the goalkeepers. Is this in the the area of soccer primarily or? Right. How did sport help you cope and help you succeed and move through school? Because it does, not for everybody, but it does help a lot of people. No, it definitely was that out. That the knowledge of okay, let me just get through school because I have practice at five. So at least I go about mm. have practice, let off the steam, do stuff that I'm good at. I see my friends there, you know, so that kind of at least gave you that the light at the end of the tunnel. Every after Friday, I get to go play my games on Saturday and Sunday. And luckily, I, like I said, I, I excelled at sports. So I got the kudos there. You know, I didn't get the, you're not lazy there. You're, you know, you're, showing beyond you're exceeding expectations so it was it was getting positive recognition instead of that constant right. drawback in in other 
examples of people we've interviewed. It's uh, the arts. It might be music. It might be theater. It might be visual art. Your daughter, for instance. It might be any of these other talents, other gifts that are highlighted uh, when dyslexia is in the picture. Looking ahead, you know, you want your daughter to do the best she can. Uh, does she have plans? She's 16 years old. Is she thinking at all about going beyond or taking up different course levels, something that she's interested in and pursuing at this point? And how would you advise her or guide her? I mean, she definitely, she determined to go to college. She's at this point, not really, she doesn't think art would be what she wants to do for her career. She does like psychology as well. It's just funny that that was on her own. She just, she doesn't know that about me, but it's kind of that, those are the questions she starts asking. And I think it's just, again, there's no math involved. It's, you just listen. It's kind of that tempting occupation that, oh, I could, right. I could possibly do that. So it must that, be a way to bond with her. You both have this in common. Oh yeah. I think that's helped a lot with her just because we, I try to joke with it, with her about it and not just you know, look at it as a negative. I, you know, we'll talk to her with, you know, it's fine. You're, you just did that because you're, you're dyslexic like I am. We could do other things. So it's, it just gives her a little bit of a haha moment instead of <laughs> everybody always trying to figure her out right. and fix her. Right. And it's like, no, don't worry about it. You don't need to be fixed. You just need to, you're able to adapt and you're getting over it. So that's, that's all we could ask. So mm, spoken like a, a wonderfully loving dad and a pretty good coach at the same time. Yeah. Very good. Well, Jeff, we wish you the best. And thanks for sharing your story, your daughter's story. And uh, just a little hint of the story in California, uh, one example of what people are, are going through with the state and also what's happening behind bars. Uh, we have a lot of work to do, but stories like yours, telling them on podcasts like these help to uh, inform and inspire people. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was great. Many thanks to Jeff Tackett, a proud coach and dad who's helping his daughter and many others with dyslexia. Thanks for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Feel free to contact us here at our new website, dyslexicswanted.org. We welcome guest or topic suggestions. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia.